0: chapters fifty five and fifty six of taken at the flood by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain fifty five mr bayne is worsted mr Bane mounted his horse pepper a sleek deep-chested animal which he kept for the saddle and rode forth gaily or as gaily as so young a widower might ride with the eye of his townfolk upon him just about an hour after lady Perriam had been borne away from st catherine's wharf on the antwerp steamer it was a bright august noontide with just a pleasant westerly breeze to fan the leaves of the young trees that had been planted in the front gardens of those smart-looking villas which had lately cropped up like a fringe of brick and mortar along the road just outside monkhampton agreeable indications of the prosperity of our ever-increasing town as the monkhamptonians called it in the local paper mr Bane, secure in his square red-brick dwelling-place whose freehold his father and grandfather had held before him looked with an eye of contempt on these toy-shop villas little more substantial than those pasteboard swiss cottages and rustic savings banks in which juvenile hordes are wont to be garnered the people who occupied these newly built habitations were people who had newly begun housekeeping people of the mushroom race young couples with small children and very young maid-servants nothing solid or old established about them gaily rode mr Bane past the mushroom villas more gaily as the road grew more rural and there were only birds and butterflies or the ruddy kine in the fat meadows or lazy old horses looking over field-gates to mark the brightness of his eye or the half-suppressed smile upon his firm lip he was going to ask lady periam for her answer and he told himself that answer would be favourable he had considered the matter from every standpoint gone into it deeply and he did not believe she would dare to refuse his offer of marriage unexpected or even repugnant as that offer might have been granted that her heart was given to her first lover edmund standon she would conquer that fancy as she had conquered it before when she married sir aubrey Perriam. granted that her heart could never belong to mr Bane any more than it had belonged to sir aubrey shadrach Bane could do without her heart i have never had a particular fancy for hearts the steward said to himself but i want those outlying lands the lands my father and i have put together and improved so carefully that it yields a good four per cent i want to be master where i have been servant i want to hand over my office to my son and my head clerk and wash my hands of monkhampton and drudgery i want to sit down upon my own acres and have a pretty wife to head my table and ride to hounds three times a week and be called squire instead of lawyer. These desires were the sum of Mr. Bain's ambition, and he fancied that he was on the threshold of success. It was his conviction that Lady Periam dared not refuse him anything. First and foremost, and there lies the mainspring of my machine, there is a secret, a secret connected with Sir Aubrey's death. What it is I hardly care to know. Perhaps better not to know it my power is the same so long as she believes i know it secondly poor old half-witted mordred perriam has some inkling of her secret and that's why she has kept him so close and has taken such care to keep me from seeing him and would have very little objection to shut him up in a lunatic asylum if she could do it safely thirdly that mrs carter who i believe is a poor relation of lady perriam's is in some manner concerned in this secret between the old man and his nurse i might unravel the mystery i dare say if i set about it but there's no occasion for that lady perriam's face told me enough the other day whatever her secret is she gives me credit for knowing it and fears me with all her heart and soul fears me so much that she will marry me and be ruled by me for the rest of her life if not out of love out of fear thus mused shadrach Bain as he rode to perriam place the woman at the lodge swung open the gate and dropped her lowest curtsy as he entered the avenue. All the servants at the place felt that Mr. Bain was more or less their master. He had taken upon himself the duties of house stewards in Sir Aubrey's illness, and had contrived to retain those duties even after Sir Aubrey's death. He paid the servants their wages, and they believed that they would have to depart at his dismissal, Occupied as he was with his own schemes, Mr. Bain marked the lodgekeeper's profound reverence and felt the sweetness of power. A nice sinecure that woman has, he said to himself. nothing to do but mind her own children and open and shut the gate half a dozen times a day. That's one of the evils of a large estate. There are always more cats than can catch mice. Perian Place looked its grandest in the broad midday sunshine the parterres in the italian garden ablaze with scarlet geranium, the statues and marble balustrade of the terraces steeped in sunlight a fine old house thought mr Bane. nothing of the mushroom about that it would be something to inhabit such a place even if one were but a tenant on sufferance the hall doors stood wide open but the sleek footman who was wont to lounge in the vestibule was not visible to-day mr bain had to ring the bell for some one to come and look after his horse whereupon after a pause of some three minutes during which mr bain rang a second time the well-fed servitor made his appearance with something of a guilty look have you all grown deaf asked mr Bane with stern reproof take my horse and tell morris to make him comfortable i shan't want him for an hour or so you needn't announce me i know my way to lady Periam's morning-room mr Bane pushed past the dumbfounded servitor and mounted the stairs he had not given the man time to answer nor could the man follow mr Bane to give him any information for he had the horse's bridle in his hand and knew not what manner of brute that quadruped might be or whether it might not be in his nature to career off and rampage across the italian parterre and knock down a statue or two if haply let free so mr Bane mounted the stairs with the lover's impatient footsteps and went straight to lady Perriam's morning-room which he found empty there was utter silence in the corridor no murmur of the youthful st john's voice which was wont to be audible either in plaint or rejoicing mr bain went on to the day-nursery a large airy room not far from lady Perriam's apartments the nursery was also empty and had moreover an orderly look everything in its place swept and garnished the look of a deserted nursery mr Baines stared round him aghast and then rang the bell vehemently it was answered by the chief housemaid a vinegar-faced person who had been accustomed to wait on lady Perriam before sir aubrey's death a person who had been superseded after that event by celine the french maid goodness gracious sir how you did startle me exclaimed the housemaid ringing that precious bell the house seemed as if it was haunted mrs stringfold being gone and this room empty to the best of my belief mrs stringfold gone what do you mean woman i beg your pardon mr bain my name is mary dyke and i should thank you to call me by it you may be ever so surprised and i grant it's natural you should feel surprised but i don't like such an epitaph as that flung at me the epitaph was the generic term woman which mr bain had hurled at the damsel somewhat roughly do you mean that Mrs. Tringfold has gone away, left Periam Place? He asked without noticing the reproof. Yes, sir, left yesterday evening by the London train. Then who is nursing Sir St. John? Sir St. John left too, sir, yesterday evening by the London train. What did they go away for? Where are they going? Who sent them? gasped the steward, breathless with angry agitation. Nobody knows that but Lady Periam. She arranged it all and she went with them lady Perriam has gone to london has she said mr baines slowly recovering self-control and composure she has gone away for a little change of air i suppose as i recommended her to do ever so long ago she has gone rather suddenly at last but that's just a lady's way of acting there's nothing so difficult as to get a woman to make up her mind but when she does make up her mind she always does it in a hurry did lady Perriam tell any one the housekeeper for instance where she was going and how long she meant to be away lady Perriam didn't tell anybody anything sir she was always a lady to keep things close and she has been closer than usual lately mrs stringfold and that blessed child was whisked off at an hour's notice things packed anyhow one would have thought lady Perriam was running away from some danger an impetuous way of doing things certainly said mr Bane, now completely master of his emotions but i dare say after such a hurried departure lady Perriam will not be long absent and now i'll go and speak to mrs carter i have a little bit of business to arrange with her you wanted to speak to mrs carter sir didn't you know that she has left the place mrs carter what has she left too yes sir she went away with mr Perriam and a strange gentleman the day before yesterday mr Bane questioned the housemaid closely and heard the story of mordred's removal so far as mary dyke could tell it he heard how a strange gentleman who looked like a clergyman or a doctor had come to the place in the afternoon of the day before yesterday how the stranger and lady pariam had been closeted together for an hour or more and how the order had then been given for the carriage to be ready at half-past seven o'clock and how at that time mr Perriam had been led down to the hall between the stranger and mrs carter and those three had gone off together in the carriage, which took them to the Monkhampton station, and there deposited them. By heaven, she has made a clean sweep of it, thought Mr. Bain when he had listened with seeming carelessness to this story, set forth at considerable length and with much circumlocution by the housemaid. But she is not so clever a woman as I think her if she counts upon escaping me so easily. She can't leave Perriam Place or my dominion very long without leaving five thousand a year behind her the dowry she perjured herself to win and she'll hardly do that i fancy as yet mr Bane had heard nothing of edmund standon's departure he therefore lacked the keynote to lady periam's flight i think there's a letter for you sir said mary dyke whose mind had been considerably relieved by the letting off of sundry spiteful insinuations against the mistress who had discarded her services i seem to remember seeing one on the chimney-piece in lady parium's morning-room when i dusted it this morning seem to remember exclaimed the agent you might have remembered it a little sooner i should think if you had your wits about you he went in quest of the letter himself yes there lay the envelope in sylvia's clear bold handwriting sealed with the parium arms shadrach Bane tore open the envelope with fingers which for this once in his well-ordered life trembled a little he devoured those carefully studied lines glanced at the postscript with eyes which gleamed with anger and then from between his clenched teeth there hissed forth an epithet more objectionable than that against which mary the housemaid had protested does she think she can be so easily rid of me he said in his deep inward whisper knowing what i know or suspecting what i suspect which comes to the same thing does she count upon flinging me off as lightly as if we stood on equal terms she avows her love for stanton blazons it even she could hardly do that if he and she had not come to an understanding had not made their plans for the future she dares to speak of sir aubrey too her esteem her reverence her gratitude how did she prove these it shall be my task to answer that question ay and to publish my answer to all the world unless she is wise The postscript angered him even more than the letter. What a designing jade, he muttered, to get me to give her the name of a safe tool and then use him without my help. But I'll unearth this poor wretch, Mordred, and wring her secret out of him, if, as I suspect, he knows it. First, to follow her, though, hunt her down before she has put the barrier of a second marriage between her fortune and me. What Mr. Bain suspected was a matter which he kept to himself but whatever it was he was not unwilling to take sylvia perriam for his wife she was the loveliest woman he had ever seen and the wealthiest who had ever come within his orbit he could manage to make light of a little peccadillo which with most men would have been a stumbling-block in the rosy path to the altar there are not many who would marry her suspecting what i suspect he told himself meditatively as he thrust that crumpled letter into his pocket but then most men are poltroons in their dealings with women he argued i am no more afraid of her than those indian snake-charmers of the serpents they hang round their necks he went downstairs saw the housekeeper spoke very lightly of lady parium's departure as if it had been the most natural thing in the world ascertained that there was no information to be had in this quarter and left the place with his usual steady bearing yet the world was considerably changed for him and he no longer felt sure of those outlying lands which he and his father had worked and schemed with infinite astuteness and calculation to add to the parium estate one thing however he did feel sure of that if he did not get the outlying lands he would have revenge fifty six either i'll be thy slave or thy destroyer very grave was mr bain's aspect as he rode back to monkhampton the suppressed smile a smile of lurking triumph had vanished from his lips and there was a look of settled purpose which augured ill for that person whom the steward deemed his enemy he did not draw rein at his house in the high street but rode farther into the town and stopped at another house of the same period but a house with more pretension to grandeur than mr Bane's substantial and homely dwelling this house stood a little way back from the street and had a narrow shrubbery in front of it guarded by iron railings with wide gates right and left and a semicircular gravel sweep for the accommodation of carriages the dignity of this good old house as an ancestral mansion was somewhat compromised by a side door which had been made on the left of the dining-room windows a door adorned with a very large brass plate and at night made conspicuous by a red lamp which burned above it this was the abode of that well-to-do citizen mr stimpson the family practitioner it was not long after two o'clock the hour at which mr stimpson regaled himself with a comfortable and substantial luncheon washed down by a glass or so perchance half a bottle of his own particular dry sherry mr stimpson was a family man as well as a family doctor but he had married late in life and his habits had been formed without reference to mrs stimpson or the little stimpsons so while the wife and children had their noisy boisterous meal in the dining-room the doctor took his chop and his pint of sherry comfortably in his snuggery where he could not be pestered by rude boys demanding potatoes or shrill girls swamping the doubtfully clean tablecloth with small beer. mr Bane was lucky enough to find mr simpson still lingering over his cosy little luncheon trifling with a biscuit and digging choice morsels out of the cavernous depths of a stilton cheese One of those choice Stiltons with which grateful patience occasionally rewarded Mr Stimpson's labours. Sit down, Bane, he said with friendly familiarity, and help yourself to a glass of that cherry. No sugar there, sir. No brandy. No suppressed gout or heartburn in that wine. Nothing wrong at home, I hope. You're looking pale. Miss Bane keeps up pretty well under her heavy responsibilities. Admirable young lady a pattern to all Monkhampton. Yes, my daughters are very well. They are good girls. Excellent girls, sir. First rate girls. Girls such as you don't often meet with nowadays, said the doctor, bursting with enthusiasm, and with the air of knowing a good deal more about the Miss Baines than their father himself was aware of. My family are well enough, I am happy to say, said Mr. Bain, after he had drunk a glass of the doctor's favourite sherry an acrid fluid which seemed nearly related to some of the doctor's tonics i did not come to speak about them not about yourself i hope exclaimed the doctor running his eye over mr bain with professional scrutiny not uneager to detect indications of some chronic disease which would make shadrach as profitable a patient as his wife had been upon a much more serious subject than any ailment of mine good heavens mr bain you alarm me I shall give you better cause for alarm, perhaps, before I have done said Mr. Bane gravely. You know what my position was with Sir Aubrey perriam one of entire confidence, I am aware, yes, and of more than confidence of affection. I served him, and I honoured him as I have never served or honoured any other man. I was proud to think of him as my master from my boyhood. I had made it the study of my life to watch his interests after his paralytic seizure i became as you know his right hand his helplessness drew us nearer together i felt as if i were attending the decline of a beloved father highly creditable to your nature sir said the doctor warmly wondering what was the drift of these remarks which seemed to lead nowhere in particular you may remember that when you advised my taking my poor wife to Cannes on the second occasion i somewhat shrank from doing so though it is not my habit to recoil from the performance of a duty be it ever so onerous the fact was that i did not like to leave my old friend and employer in his broken-down condition it may have been a foreboding perhaps even a warning intended to deter me but i certainly felt a profound disinclination to leave him even for a few weeks judge then of my horror when i returned and heard that he was dead a sad blow doubtless exclaimed mr stimpson Wondering more and more as to the drift of this lamentation, I heard that he was dead suddenly, unexpectedly snatched away. Before I returned, he had been huddled into his grave. Don't say huddled into his grave, protested Mr. Stimpson. The funeral, though strictly private, was performed in excellent style. I attended it myself, remember. There was absolutely nothing wanting. Yes, there was one thing an inquest upon the dead man an inquest quite uncalled for my dear Bane. granted sir aubrey's death came upon us somewhat unexpectedly at last still it was not to be ranked among sudden deaths he was a confirmed invalid and in a condition in which he might go off at any moment without astonishing any medical man acquainted with his constitution the heart had been feeble for a long time i have very little doubt that the heart was the immediate cause of death don't you think a post-mortem examination would have been better than speculation or theory upon such a question as that a post-mortem examination could not have brought sir aubrey back to life and it would have given extreme pain to lady i perceive you considered the living rather than the dead i could do nothing for the dead but i could spare useless and needless pain to the living answered mr stimpson with offended dignity he did not like to have his conduct questioned by mr Bane, and you never tried to understand the cause of sir aubrey's death you took it for granted that he died of heart disease i did not say heart disease said mr stimpson looking uncomfortable i only said that he had a weak heart there was no organic disease how long had he been dead when you saw him some hours i was not sent for till morning and he died shortly after midnight i found a lady Perriam in a fearful state of distress the shock had been almost fatal to her if i had not thought more of the living than the dead at that time she would have been in a brain fever very likely before the day was out you gave your attention therefore to the living patient and did not trouble yourself about the dead there was nothing for me to do you made no examination of the body to what end i would not disturb the repose of the dead mrs carter had performed the necessary offices sir aubrey's limbs had been composed in their last rest for some hours when i saw him oh mrs carter laid him out did she where was his faithful old valet chaplain why did not he assist in that last sad office he was confined to his bed by an attack of gout a victim i very much fear to intemperance he left periam place before the funeral a thoroughly broken man to go back to france most liberally rewarded though sir aubrey's will had not yet been read lady periam rewarded his fidelity from her own purse sir aubrey was much changed i suppose you did not glance at his face perhaps yes i looked at the face the room was somewhat dark but i did perceive a change a more marked change than death usually makes did that give rise to no suspicion in your mind good heavens no what suspicion could arise from it that sir aubrey had not come by his death fairly mr Bain, are you mad i hope not but i have brooded upon the subject of my employer's sudden and to my mind mysterious death until it has assumed an awful shape in my mind, why were you not sooner summoned to that deathbed? Why were hours suffered to elapse? Why was the corpse laid out before they took the trouble to send for you? I attribute anything unusual in the circumstances to Lady Perriam's prostrate state at the time, said the doctor. Well, perhaps I am wrong. Pray do not for a moment imagine that I suspect Lady Perriam not for the world would i harbour such a thought she is doubtless as innocent as she is beautiful never did i hear sir aubrey utter a complaint against her never did i hear her repine at her lot the person i suspect is mrs carter that smooth silent time-server a singularly reserved person i admit but i cannot see what motive she could have for harming sir aubrey she may have believed that his will had provided for her in some moment of childishness he may have made her some promise which kindled avarice and inspired wonder mr stimpson brushed up his few grey hairs with an agitated movement of his hands till they literally stood on end very pale looked mr stimpson as he clutched the decanter and poured out another glass of the dry sherry wherewith to fortify himself against the horror of shadrach Bane's suggestion i don't believe it he exclaimed why do you come here to alarm me with such a cock-and-bull story simply because i respected the feelings of a refined and delicate lady and it took some trouble to save her the torture of a coroner's inquest what is your motive in coming here with such insinuations mr Bain? simply to put you on your guard i thought from the first that there was something wrong about sir aubrey's death circumstances that have occurred of late have gone very far to confirm this opinion I thought it was my duty to warn you. In the event of any revelation, some discredit might fall upon you. You might be accused of want of care. Take my advice, Mr Stimpson, and not a word of this to anyone till you hear more from me or from someone else. Good day to you. I've some particular business to transact down street and can't stop any longer. Mr Bane, my dear Bane, for goodness sake, be more explicit, cried the doctor piteously. But Shadrach Bain had left the room before his appeal was finished, leaving the family practitioner in a state of collapse. I think I've laid the train neatly there, the lawyer said to himself as he walked away from the surgeons in the direction of the bank. If Lady Perryham changes her mind and comes into my way of thinking, it will be easy enough to withdraw all I have said. If not, it is the beginning of the machine that shall destroy her. He went to the bank paid in two or three small checks which he had carried in his pocket for a week or two and then asked if he could see mr standon mr standon is not in monkhampton would mr philpotts do inquired the clerk no i wanted to see mr standon himself particularly will he be back in a day or two do you think i've no idea but i'll ask mr philpotts if you like i dare say he knows said the clerk civilly anxious to oblige so good a customer one who in some measure represented the perium estate do there's a good fellow and if you can find out where mr standon has gone i shall be doubly obliged the clerk vanished into an inner room and speedily reappeared smiling mr philpotts had a letter this morning sir mr standon is not expected back just yet he's at antwerp at antwerp yes sir on a tour i suppose His letter was from Antwerp. He might be leaving directly to go up the Rhine, but he wrote from the Hotel Peter Paul, Antwerp. Thank you, that'll do. I'll write to him by this afternoon's post. I wanted to consult him about a little bit of land conterminous to the Dean House property. Good morning. Shadrach Bane went back to his own house. He knew all that Monkhampton could help him to discover. At Antwerp, he thought. At Antwerp. The chances are that those two, Lady Perriam and Edmund Standon, are acting in concert, and that she has gone after him. Where else can she have gone? She boldly avows her affection for him in her letter to me. She has gone to join him at Antwerp, to be married to him most likely, if I don't prevent it. But it'll be strange if I can't put a stop to that marriage. I wonder how often the steamers go to Antwerp. Stay the quicker way would be to go from dover to ostend and then on by rail yes that shall be my route and i must get to dover in time for to-night's mail the steward was a man prompt in action he went to his office gave verbal instructions and a page or so of written memoranda to his clerks told them he had to go to belgium on business for a few days or possibly more than a few days gave instructions as to the forwarding of letters and telegrams packed his portmanteau announced his departure to his astonished children ate a mutton-chop though with the smallest inclination for that sustenance and was at the station in time for the three forty five train which reached london at a quarter to eight time enough for him to catch the mail for dover at midnight he was standing on the deck of the fast little steamer speeding over moonlit waves in the balmy august air and meditating upon the course that lay before him he followed sylvia perriam with a settled purpose if he failed to win her for his wife, he meant to denounce her. That which had been only a dark suspicion in his mind was now almost certainty. It was his firm belief that Sir Aubrey Perriam had come to an untimely end at his wife's hands. End of chapters fifty five and fifty six.